0: hey welcome back to invisible machines we have a great episode for you this week as always we are really excited to be having a conversation with don scheibenreif don is the co-author of when machines become customers he's also a vice president and distinguished analyst with gardner's customer experience research group i was actually on an airplane when this conversation happens, so we are really fortunate to have michael solomon Filling in as the, the co-host on this one, Michael is kind of a 360-degree designer with more than 30 years of experience across just about every single industry you can think of. So he's really a perfect fit for a conversation uh, this deep with a Gardner analyst. So we are really, really fortunate to have him joining us today. Uh, you know, when you think about the idea of customers about of machines rather becoming customers for me. And I think for Rob and for Michael as well, uh, we start thinking about the internet of things, which was kind of a popular concept. I guess it's been more than 10 years ago in the UX community. And the idea was that all of the objects in your life that were uh, somehow collecting data or able to track certain metrics would, would end up communicating with each other and would create this whole new tapestry of experience uh, you know, what was missing back then was an ecosystem where that data could be shared and kind of a common language for, for all these different pieces of technology to communicate with one another. So, obviously, with conversational AI now everywhere in the world, uh, this is becoming more feasible, right? Machines can, can speak to each other. As uh, comes up in this discussion, they can speak to each other in human language now. So, it really changes everything in terms. Uh, of our relationship with technology and also you know as you start thinking about those things big issues come up relating to trust and transparency and this conversation touches on a lot of those important things and of course you know we have a Gartner analyst in the room so we're going to talk about how enterprises are approaching these technologies because this is a huge lift for a lot of companies a big investment um and and the good news i think that emerges from this conversation is that organizations are really no longer in a place where they need to scrap all of their old systems, right? The technology exists today to kind of add sort of a communication layer or membrane over top of all your existing technology uh, that enables everything to kind of communicate and share data sets. And then you can, uh, you know, as a business leader, start building automated experiences right on top of that. So... You know, this is a fascinating conversation, I think, for just about anyone who's interested in this space. So I'm going to go ahead and take you to that conversation with Rob and Michael and Don right now.
1: When machines become customers. I think that's fascinating. I like that. That was all I needed to see to want yeah. to read this book. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> I'm glad. I was like, this is super interesting, intriguing idea. Um, take us down that road a little bit, if you don't mind, like what, Yeah, you know, and I say the good, let's say the good and the bad. So maybe we could start with the origin of the concept,
2: Rob, um, about seven, eight years ago, I was asked to make a presentation at one of our conferences about what happens when an IOT device becomes a customer. Uh, Internet of Thing device. And that just kind of led us down a path of exploring the concept in much more detail. I, I filled up a room of about 800 people and just walked, it was kind of like a TED talk, but just asking okay. the question and seeing what uh, what the response was. And the response was positive. That's and that led things. to, over, over a period of seven, eight years, uh, about a dozen and a half research notes, presentations, webinars, um, all types of stuff out there, and ultimately, we uh, decided that we had enough content for a book, and we decided to go for it. Um, so it's yeah, been it's been, uh, it's been a pretty amazing journey. And what's interesting is that we did not plan to publish the book right around the time that ChatGPT exploded. We literally pushed the button on Amazon Kindle on January third. And then, literally, I think it was a week after that, or two weeks after that, which is when all the buzz on ChatGPT and OpenAI started hitting all of the airwaves and stuff. So, uh, well, I'd, I'd like to say that we had, we knew that was going to happen. We did not. Uh, yeah. We knew, we knew AI was going to be part of the machine customers concept, but the whole discussion around generative AI and AI in general has really brought,
1: uh, shown a light on the work that we've done. Got it. Got it. I was thinking. Um... Cause I, 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 not in these words, but I'd be like when, when, when a customer becomes a part of your IOT network <laughs> yeah, um, or when a human becomes part of your IOT network, that's kind yeah. of like when you look at conversation as a communication channel between machines and other machines and machines and humans, we realize that humans could be on both ends. They could be the receiving end, but they could also be the sensor out in the world to collect data that can be a part of that IOT network like you know this doesn't need to be a, a a heterogeneous community of just robots only like why can't humans can do a lot of things like the great sensors out there you know to ping a farmer and say what does this soil condition look like um they can do a pretty good job of, of feeding that information back in a less less than black and white way this is- um so we've always been fascinated with like expanding the thought of IoT to include humans. Um, and this this is just another angle, I guess, which is, you know, maybe even going a step further and saying like raising the devices to becoming customers. So it's kind of like an equalizing, it's it's is it is it humans letting machines in on their communities, or is it machines letting humans in on their communities? And is this a Uh, You know, uh, uh, if if machines start buying things, is this like a, a equalizing or?
2: Well, let's be clear about something, Rob, is that we believe and we've written about this in the book that the humans always have the off switch. So any type of agency that we give to machines is born from us, from people. Right. So when we invite them in to take work off of our plates or do research on our behalf, we are the ones that are giving them that agency. Now, in our book, we describe different levels of agency from machines as what we call bound customers when they buy from one device. So we like to talk about our HP printer. That printer, when you connect it to the internet, can only buy ink from HP. So that's a fairly common common area. But the next level is machines as adaptable customers, which is what happens when the machine has choice. Let's say I will authorize what we, what we call a custo bot, that works on your behalf that I want you to get ink for my printer, but I want you to go to these three sources. And if you find something else by, by all means, go for it. So they can choose between multiple suppliers. And then the third level is probably more a little bit what you're describing, which is machines as autonomous customers, where the machine has much more decision discretion on what to do. It maybe even anticipates your needs. Maybe it adds, maybe not a new printer, not a new set of ink into the your cart, but maybe it says you need to buy a different printer. And here's uh, why. So that's that's the the spectrum that we that we talk about. But again,
1: humans are always in control. Got it, got it. So Mike Michael and I were actually talking a bit about this um you know, this this kind of a you know, concept of of where do humans um and algorithms fit into all this, because um the algorithms are designed by humans, right? Yes, I mean, yes. the decision criteria as as blunt as we might wanna look at it, like, you know, buying new ink, you could just say that's just a simple algorithm. It's just a blunt object algorithm, right? Yes, um, and we could probably say that blunt algorithms are far more dangerous than more sophisticated ones um, because we look at some of the like, you know, Facebook. You know, algorithms for likes and things—they're just so simple and so blunt that the, that at scale they can cause huge, huge it issues. Is. Like, same with ChatGPT. Like, if if everyone bought into the to the um, you know to the ChatGPT recommendation engine and said, you know, what vegetable should I eat this week? We could run a shortage on carrots because like exactly. the whole world suddenly went out and bought carrots and. And the problem isn't carrots, and the problem isn't the truth of the machine, right? And the accuracy of the information. The problem is that we're all now sharing a brain and we're sharing a single yes, decision-making algorithm. And so that kind of leads to, um, I, there's there seems to be a conversation, is the world, is the future, are we better off with like a bunch of little independent bots or algorithms that are running that aren't talking to each other? Or or does this need to be centralized in some way? Like should there be an awareness of each other and, and what they're doing? Some like, you know, super bot that kinda says, Hey, wait, 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 Like you don't have any money to buy ink. Um I don't know, Michael, you were you had some thoughts on this. Yeah, um
3: it's interesting. I I'm I'm There's a couple of things I want to explore for sure, but the the trust spark spot immediately and the the printer toner ink is one of the greatest ones to do it because you already kind of feel scammed by it. They've got bad PR anyway around how much it costs. It's DRM'd like you were suggesting it could be. And so there's a trust problem of knowing that it's going to, on my behalf, maybe order things that I don't have money for or don't need. Right. And so the human in the loop, which you were suggesting is always there is sort of important because I can then probably say, Hey, 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 no, you don't need to buy that. You know, I'm not going to be doing the level of printing I was doing during this session of whatever my life had thrown at me. So I don't need that, that service. But, um, but that trust level is very interesting because I think it also speaks to your levels of autonomy or agency, I think is what you said. Mm -hmm. Right. So that gets really interesting on on my behalf, find a cheaper toner that you know is going to, you know, fulfill my needs, and then present me the options so that I can do, you know, make the ultimate choice. Perfect. And that gets back to like that digital assistant, concierge bot, looking out for your best interests. So what the thing is, I think is really fun, and we were sort of thinking about is when a, when a, a digital agent on my part is interfacing with a digital agent on the printer toner's it's part it. and for sure they are going to be interfacing in a manner that we have designed which is conversational but at some point do they need us like can they just get to the nitty-gritty and kind of cut the fat yeah. and we were joking about yeah. like like going like okay i'm allowed to negotiate up to 47 dollars, <laughs> but i won't go over that <laughs> and the other one's like oh cool cool because i won't gonna go about 46 yeah. so and so there almost becomes that again like are they letting us in? is there going to be that yeah, right. undercurrent by itself yeah so. so like
1: wait the manufacturer of the printer wrote the algorithm on when i should buy ink hmm <laughs>
3: Yeah. <laughs> well, so th- there's a trust problem. It is a trust. But it, they yeah. already did it though, right? They've already have that. They already tell yeah. you when and you just have to like say, nope, go for it man. Uh, burn it down to the end or yeah, I mean, And I obviously, so. I don't want to focus on HP
2: because there's a lot of other examples. Sure, out sure, here. sure. Yeah. There's plenty of examples. But you know, the whole idea, I, I want to go back, Mike, to your discussion about trust. I mean, we identify it as a major issue um, because in order for humans to delegate more work to a machine, the machines have to prove it themselves. So uh-huh. yeah, I think I think the in the short term they're going to be more of the blunt algorithms where it's yes no, do this, don't do that type thing. But I think as these especially with the advent of generative AI, the ability of these machines to actually make more decisions, to consider more options is real. In fact, we in writing the book, we actually interviewed the chief digital officer of a large credit card processor. And they have ambitions about wanting to be a trust broker, because let's go back. If my bot, my custo bot is negotiating with your custo bot, I need to know that your custo bot is trustworthy. Uh Have you been certified? Because you could imagine that, let's say I'm a company and people want to sell me printer toner. And I have no idea who these incoming bots are. I have no way to verify their identity. They could be scamming me trying to get my business. I might pay them and not ever get my ink toner. That to me is is going to, someone's got to figure this out. So um, I could see the emergence of trust brokers, uh, another way to verify identity of is this bot that's working on my behalf legit or not? Because if you can't verify that, you're right, this won't work. Yeah. And what about
1: the centralization versus decentralization concept? Like if I feel like that's one of the things that's just being overlooked, the idea that if, if it was a big company with millions of printers out there and they were doing live updates to these Mm -hmm. algorithms and something happened, you know, like the, the, the stock market crashes when, you know, as a result of, too many people using a similar algorithmic um, pattern and and then all of a sudden the issue you know comes down to the shared just the shared and scope of the algorithm had it been you know a minority and there been more variety and diversity in the algorithms this wouldn't have happened, but because there's such a similarity so so companies with all the right intentions and customers you know feeling good about it but then some bug comes out and everyone's orders ink, everyone's printer just orders yeah. ink cartridges on the same day and causes, you know, the havoc. Um, of course, that's probably a, a, you know, there's worse problems like causing the market to crash. You know, there are other examples that would be worse than that, but we seem to be holding on the ink cartridge. <laughs> um, yeah, well, like, like, like how, how, isn't that like this, on this emergent, uh, you know, complexity that that humans have a hard time seeing, and, and we and we c- kind of look at like large companies not quite uh, being able to play these these con- these emergent complexity consequences out, like Facebook and the consequences of their simple algorithms of likes and dislikes, and and going that ah, we didn't mean for this to sure. happen. Well, I, I think what that goes back to is what are your ethical principles
2: and how do they inform your algorithm development? What data are you collecting? How are you going to use it? How does the model work? I think if you're able to be much more thoughtful and even know what your principles are before you even develop the algorithms, that's half the battle. So I think the the examples you're describing are maybe those unintended consequences were not foreseen because it was very new. But we've seen enough of them today that if we're going to do something about it, we actually do have to spend time thinking about the the unintended consequences of our actions. So I'd like to be an optimist, Rob, and say that organizations are are going to be uh having more AI ethics, if you want to call it that, built uh-huh. into
1: their development processes. What do you think about enterprises? Do you think they're do you think they're gonna look beyond the bottom line? Like, do you think they're wired to to see this coming, or do you think they're just gonna go for the next quarterly earnings bump? Well, I would see that enterprises
2: that are focused on growth, which are happen to be a lot of our clients, and even the publisher of the magazine that you're associated with is also looking for growth. I think what we've tried to do is present machine customers as a viable path to growth uh, in addition to human customers. And our research, uh, tells us when we talk to CEOs, they tell us by the year 2030, they expect anywhere from 15 to 20 percent of the revenue to come from machines, not just from from human interaction. So those those types of things, Rob, tell us that this is a viable concept. And uh, so far, when we've shared this with our large clients and even others, they say, "Yeah, I think that I think it's possible, and we need to be thinking about it." Got it.
1: Yeah, I, I think I'm in your camp, which is. I think what you're saying is yeah, there'll be bumps along the way and we'll learn. But generally speaking, this is just, this is you know, this ends up in in a place of convenience for the customer. Oh yeah. Um and, yeah. and 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 maybe there will be an agent on the other side someday that negotiates with the printer to say, No, not yet. Let's wait a day that's talking to the bank account so that the printer doesn't have to talk to the bank account. Yeah. Um yeah, I, I think those are all, I mean, these are the types of scenarios
2: that we ask our clients to think about as they think about levels of automation and the use of bots and machine customers in their business. It's, it's simply a matter of taking a look at a customer process and take the human out and put the machine in and say, okay, what do we have to be thinking about? And even that exercise has proven to be very powerful for some of our clients. Um, it's just, it's, people are still learning, Rob. They, uh, those of us that are really close to this work saying, well, why doesn't everybody know about it? But you'd be uh-huh. surprised when, when I just bring up the simple example of the HP Instant Ink service and I say, look, this is an example of HP manufacturing their own customers. They go, oh, okay, now I see what you're talking about. So part of it is this stuff has been around us for a long time. We've just tried to reframe it and repackage
1: it into something that can be pursued. Yeah. Yeah. It really is fascinating. I mean, the idea makes sense, and and it and we do consider many of our purchases chores. I know oh, I absolutely, do. yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I mean,
1: like, I, I don't feel like I'm giving up anything. No, like car insurance,
2: toilet paper, other types of commodity items. You know, tires for your car. That's what we talk yeah. about. That's the fun part, which is, can I offload some of this stuff to? Uh, to machine. You know, maybe Alexa or you have your own bot. You know, we, uh, we we are publishing research at Gartner. Most people don't realize that Siri, Alexa, they work for Apple and Amazon. They don't work for you. Right. They serve you. But do we need our own
1: bots that work for us? Yes. To be our true agents? That does not exist right now. No. It doesn't. In my world, in my world the answer is clearly yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, because, like, we're, we're all going to be putty in their hands if, <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it, at least the way the current companies sort of structure themselves and how they do business, it's very antagonistic, right? It's not necessarily customer service first. It's, it's, it's high quality customer service as a lip service. And then, you know, cost and revenue, you know? <laughs> sure. I mean, it's, it's certainly, you know,
2: capitalism is, has helped create, the constructs of Alexa and Siri. I mean, the the profit motive has created this technology innovation. I think what the the question is, is uh, what is our relationship with this technology? How, uh-huh. how will we shape the technology versus letting it shape us? That to me is one of the big questions uh, that we talk about at Gartner is, is that we cannot just be victims of technology. We have to play an active role in their use and development. Um, so it's, yeah. it's a, it's a very, it's a very interesting dynamic. You know, what, what is Alexa and Siri taught us that it's now okay to talk to computers and they'll talk back to
1: you. A, Before that, it was very hit or hit or miss. It was very mechanical. So I spend a lot of time actually on this, the McLuhan, like our, you know, we make our tools and then our tools shape us, you know, we shape a, our, t- and um, I, 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 I've been trying to like, cause we're at the beginning, right? We're at the, we're at the we make our tools part. Uh, as, as, have you spent any time thinking forward? Like, how are these tools? Do you think going to shape us differently in the future and our behaviors? Like, I think we we tend to look into the future and and think of ourselves and our behaviors as static, right? Exactly. And and everything else as static. And and then we just look at that one that one piece. You know, we we look at self driving cars and then we imagine ourselves and everybody else and everything else and every other technology is static and then we kind of you know draw a future with yeah with that's not real because because those other things change and evolve just as fast um have you spent any time thinking about how will these tools shape us how will we become the gps story where like you're halfway on a trip and the battery dies and you like no idea where you are cuz you just absolutely haven't been paying attention at all yeah. to the road <laughs>
2: Well, I think I think that's a risk with any technology development, Rob. I, I'd like to take a more positive approach. That these machines are helping us; they're augmenting our abilities. They're making us more effective. But you know what? I I uh, I lived in Cal. I live in California now, but I lived here almost thirty years ago, where we had the Thomas Guide, which was literally an inch thick binder of maps. You know, mm-hmm. spiral bound because California is. Yeah, I loved that, actually. I I thought it was pretty (laughs) cool, right? So you Uh think about how you're going to plot your adventure using flipping through the maps and writing down the directions, right? That was a very real skill, and you had to stay very focused on the road in order to get to your destination. Yes, has GPS taken that away from us? Of course it has. I mean, we are just now, uh, it's created more ease for us. Maybe we can focus on other things. So I think the point here is that we cannot let technology reduce us to a point where we're just following orders we're just doing what they tell us to do that's not the point the point is how will this technology help us be more productive that we can spend time on other it's a classic argument i and i i don't really have any other response for that but i can just tell you you know my wife and i for example about five years ago we closed on our house here in california i was in cape town south africa and she was in I think she was in India. We literally closed on the house with our phones. You know, we didn't have Isn't to be- Isn't that awesome when that happens? Yeah. It's, <laughs> when, when stuff like that happens, like, holy crap. I mean, yeah. that is so cool. And then we all have examples in our home lives about how this technology has helped us in unexpected ways. So I think that part of it is is the positive side. But I, I hear what you're saying, Rob, is we cannot let pieces of critical thinking that
1: are endemic to humans atrophy if machines do too much for right. us. Right. So one we were having a conversation about uh wellness, healthcare, future of healthcare with yeah. Lee Hood and um as a prior. Episode, um and one thing we we positioned as like, well what if what if it the GPS is I don't know if you I, I'm sure you've had this experience where like you're in the car and you're your car GPS is going, and your Google phone yeah. GPS, and they're like, you're almost like they almost argue with each other. <laughs> yeah, and you're like, which one? Shut up, one of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but we were talking about like, you know, let's say that it's healthcare and it is a critical thing. So y- you have two of them arguing, uh, like, should you, shouldn't you? Uh, pros and cons, and then, and so instead of one being like nanny AI where it's like guiding you, you get to listen to a debate. A healthy debate between between two, and then you decide and and what Lee brought up, which I have held on to since then, because I thought it was absolutely the number one outcome uh, possible out of this, is the amount of education you end up getting now listening to this argument yep. that what a great way to actually provide agency. like it's kind of the opposite, right? You're actually yeah. creating agency through it versus taking it away. And so are these patterns just, is that, is that the fear just a lack of imagination on some of these patterns that we can create to just how we use it, right? It's not, yeah. It's not that they exist that we're, we're doomed to some sort of nanny AI that's gonna make all the decisions for us so we no longer know how to make decisions, but maybe it enables us to make better decisions and that's it and, and, and that's how the sh- tools will shape us. I totally agree, Robin, and that's actually
2: a central tenet of the book: is that these machine customers help us make better decisions. Yes, they take some of the drudgery out of our lives, but it, on the whole, you know, for example, if I'm a tech comp if I'm a manufacturing company, and I need to buy a new technology system, uh, can a bot working on my behalf do the research far better than I can present me the options, but I still make the decision. Uh-huh. Maybe they surface variables. I hadn't even considered that say, yeah, that maybe the, maybe the, the vendors D E and I record is really important to me. And they found some information that says, Hey, this vendor is a, really a leader in the space. And by giving them your business, you're supporting them. So I believe that as you said, that these machines can actually make us smarter because they are presenting us with more information by which we can make a decision. And, and again that to me is part of the positive side of this.
1: Yeah, it's just it's in fact it, that's what they're making easier, the research, yeah. not the decision. Yeah. The research and we love that. Who cares? Who who wants to work hard at at, at gathering data? Like totally let's make agree. that easy. Totally. That agree. way we have more data to work with, more decisions that are data-based. Yeah. And yeah, so so, if that's if that's like a trajectory, then then maybe trust and I don't know, Michael, I want to hear your thoughts on this, but trust isn't as important because which one am I trusting? I'm listening to two arguments, and now I'm just trusting yeah. myself.
3: The transparency provided really gives you like not only that educational insight, but then provides you like a little bit of a more of a logical kind of construct to then way which you <laughs> would probably hopefully in a healthcare situation especially right where you're you may not be as knowledgeable about the breadth and depth of that specific thing so yeah i think i think you you design the pattern that allows for that to exist and probably some really great stuff comes out of it um and and that might continue with the trust thing i think the trust thing is going to come with convergence of more information Mm -hmm. about me so that touches on something y'all said which is do you get your own private like LLM right like do I uh or do am I paying with my service to provide Facebook their data on me to use that and so that I think that becomes interesting again in the trust space of like who's uh, on on, you're operating on my behalf prove it and until you can prove it then I sort of, I'm going to kind of suspend that, that, that space. But anywhere where I'm out of my league intellectually, which is a lot of places, <laughs> um, is, is probably, I'd probably look for those, those things there. Cause that's the sort of advice that you would, you want a second opinion, right? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be great to get a second opinion uh-huh. on your, on the thing you wrote yourself? Mm-hmm. So it would be very, very cool to see to see that at some point diminishing returns will probably show up so you don't need 40 of them doing it right it only needs to be a couple so so i think that's i think that's really an interesting an interesting play yeah and that gets to that again of that shorthand of are we going to get to a place where i'm i'm sort of the overseer of said sort of decisions and you know an executive decision menu is given to me at the end of the day and i say oh yes 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 but no i don't want that one to happen do this instead Mm -hmm. and then things kind of continue so yeah the the convergence of it i think it will help knowing that it knows other things about my desires needs and maybe can even then forecast things that i'm not be not be paying attention to yeah or even compare it to people like you so
2: today's recommendation oh yeah You know, Uh they said people like you bought this, but what you're describing is a whole nother level of context, which doesn't exist today. And I think, I think your trust points are very, very valid because how much information am I going to give? What am I going to get for it? The classic equation today. And, you know, I, I I hate to say it, but you know what? I will probably trust Amazon and HP and Apple versus some brand new startup that I'm not Uh familiar with. You know, until they until they've earned it. And I think everyone everyone's got their trust formula, if you want to call it that. Everybody's okay. got their lines. Uh-huh. And it's it's gonna be a matter of experimentation. Some things are gonna work and some things are not. I mean, think about Alexa, you know, eight years ago when it first came out. It was clunky, you know, it was hard. Sometimes it did not understand you, but think about it eight years later, how much it is. And it just I think it just got a GPT thing added to it. Same thing with Siri. So I I think part of this is patience, part of it is experimentation. Things are gonna go wrong, things are gonna break, and that's part of the process, that none of this technology is
1: perfect by any stretch. I can't help but nerd out on the machines buying stuff Um, because I I gotta go to implications, right? I gotta go like, okay, machines are buying stuff, they can make decisions in split seconds, they can make good decisions quickly, they don't get stuck on um, and you know it's some of the typical biases that we have. Convenience doesn't matter to them. Um, so I'm gonna my machine's gonna pick the best cheapest option if it's working on my behalf, right? If it's if, if it's not installed it. by the manufacturer, if it's working on my behalf, um, it's gonna pick the best cheapest offer for me uh, option for me, and then another one's gonna come out and like overnight, like instantly, it's gonna it's gonna know it. It's gonna know it faster than I know it. Yes, and it's gonna switch faster than I would ever switch. And and that's gonna happen for like everyone just instantaneously, or some large number of people instantaneously will also know this. So we have this like this from a from a, a mechanic standpoint, from a customer standpoint, you're like successful until the next day and you're not. <laughs> you know? This like, whoa, I was I was number one, and I was getting you know a million orders a day, and and today I got a hundred.
3: Yeah. How do you know what to buy? <laughs> how do you know what to supply? Yeah, I mean that that whole just in time thing becomes kind of a nightmare.
2: Well, you know, I think that's we actually touch on that a little bit in the book, which is how do you track the buying behaviors and the and the purchasing patterns using machine customers. My hope would be is that you could, that the intelligence would come sooner rather than later, instead of waiting for somebody to wake up in the morning and say, oh my God, we're off, we're off. The machine's already done the analysis and alerting you for it. Um, and and I, I think that this gets back to who's who the bot is working for. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we actually talk about is how do you influence the algorithms? I think, Rob, you're getting at that a little bit, is that if, mm-hmm. I'm, if I went from a million units a day down to a hundred, it means somebody influenced the algorithms of the people that were, were buying from me, but are no longer buying from me. How do you do that? Yeah. And one of the things we talk about in the sales practice is that the role of the human salesperson may be more like a data scientist than a relationship-based seller, if they're selling to machines, because their relationship feature-based, emotion-based selling is irrelevant selling to machines. So instead what I have to do is I may have to get to the human who's writing the algorithm that governs the machine that's buying from me. Uh-huh. And if I can influence that algorithm, then I have a shot that my product will get into your cart faster or better than my competitors. Right. So this is where the humans still play a role in this because until machines start writing each
1: other's algorithms, there's a human that's writing them for, them, for them. Right. Yeah, I wonder, I guess, yeah, I guess y- y- your point is, is valid. And I think like the logical, Conversation before the one where machines just en masse swap products is reputation and and some centralized version of reputation that Absolutely. they share and use, right? Yeah. Um. I think I think there's a lot less conversation about that than it deserves. I think there's still a lot of conversation, but uh, you know, a lot's happened in in 20 years when it this comes is- to. Uh, you know, reputation where, you know, ma and pa restaurants are accountable and we can go we can go look at their score their rating, whereas before it was just a crapshoot whether Yeah. Like the the trust there's there's some there's some level of leveling of the playing field that's happened with technology in terms of, you know, trusted reputation and saying, Hey, I can trust to go to this ma and pa place now that's because it. they got you know, amazing Yelp ratings or whatever. Um, And so, yeah, I guess if machines start buying, there's bound to be some sort of, you know, centralized or quasi centralized or decentralized reputation component that eventually emerged that these things would use to make decisions onto where should I buy this ink? Where is it gonna be cheaper? Where do you think that reputation, and I'm, you know, this is just pie in the sky here. Where do you think, where do you think that'll come from? Will that be like some sort of blockchain decentralized uh, thing, or do you think it's like the Google search? You know, I, I, yeah, I, I think that that's a great question.
2: I mean, I think I, you know, I I can actually see machine customers looking at the ratings. Maybe as maybe me as a human owner, I would say, okay, I, I don't want to talk to anybody that has less than a four star rating. You could got actually it, program program, program that into it. Uh, or else we did a scenario where we had a smart vending machine that was tasked with finding its own repair service, right uh, to repair it. That's so right. it, it went and reviewed the ratings, but it also looked at the verbatims as well because you can't just look at the ratings. you got to do some an- analysis of the language in the rating itself. So I could see that happening um, right. And there may be other sources of data out there. Maybe the better business Bureau has a you know has a system. Where people report bad businesses, maybe it consults that. So I think, I think the um, reputation, or and I think this gets back to Mike's thing about trust. How do I trust this business? There's going to be multiple data points that could had, that could kind of result in a trust score. Yeah. And the good news is about these machines is that they could query likely all those different data sources as part of uh-huh. the part of the decision
1: process. So some sort of amalgamation and aggregation of it. Yeah, that does make sense and and that's probably safer because we're not trusting, you know, one you know, source that has an issue and suddenly, you know, yeah. a company goes out of business and you're like, "Oops. Sorry, right. we got the we got your your company name mixed up with somebody else's." Um, yeah. but that, I think that happened on the stock market, right? Like a number of times right. where s- stocks were bought because the, the ticker got Yeah. Yeah. Mixed up. but so, ju- but ju- but just look at look at um
2: if you're a homeowner, right? So um you can uh, I used Angie's List. I think it's called Angie now for many uh-huh. years because I knew they had a very rigorous process by which they interviewed and certified their repair people. And then the customers also rated them. So those that was like a double layer of trust. I knew that the company was standing behind this contractor as well as other people that used them. Same thing with companies like American Home Shield, the home warranty companies. They have a pre-certified list of people that they go to when something goes wrong. So I could see some service popping up that's able to do this and say, look, you know, um, and it could be the credit card company, could be somebody else, it could be Google, who knows. But I do think that we're going to have to have, at least in the initial phases of the development of machine customers, some level of trust verification.
1: Yeah. And then we get into that blunt algorithm thing where where, like, how does anyone break through if like an algorithm simple, give me a... Four stars and above. Okay, well, this cut, this product has no ratings. Just like this. Who's gonna try it? Right? Like, which algorithms, like the one that says, "Oh, I like to try the new thing on the block." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like we kind of get into like the, the 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 guys at the top stay at the top, and there's no way to break through um, the bottom. Um, and and of course, we'll solve it. Like it's just m- more complex algorithms that you know that we'll have to you know, kind of experiment a little bit. And I think, like you said, the human factor will always still be there. So there'll always be some people that will buy manually. And Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, we're doing some work right now about the choices that companies have, either you make something
2: that could be a machine customer or you don't. And if you don't make something, but you know that machines might buy from you, then to your example, you have to have ratings. You have to have data available to a machine who's going to make decisions. And you may not know what data they want, so you have to put everything there. That's the type of preparation that we're talking to our clients about, which is if a machine customer is going to come knocking on your door, they're going to go to your digital commerce portal first. So you have to make sure that that portal can accommodate their needs. And that's what kind of makes people's brains explode because they're already their data, product data may not be up to date, may not be complete. The information might not be there, so there's there's definitely going to have to be some cleanup for companies if they want to if they don't make machine customers.
1: Yeah, I I I don't know why, but when I think about this idea, I just keep mapping to how people buy and then go across. So, okay, how's that going to look like in machines? You know, I just keep pattern after pattern, and one of the ones I think about is I have this friend who's, I mean, he's just a research machine. Like, if he buys it, I know. I know it's the, like I don't even need to do my own research. <laughs> like I just like, what did yeah. you get? Okay, I'm just gonna get that. I have friends like that too. Yeah, and I'm like, I like, I, I won't bother. Um, and and I think like, if, what if that's a, what if that's an algorithm? Like I think that's where we're headed, right? Where, where I'm gonna be like, if that algorithm said to do it, I'm not even gonna bother doing my own research. Like I, I know I can trust, I yeah. I can trust that thing. And I don't think say that as a bad thing. I'm glad he did it. Like he saved me a ton of time. But what I like about this idea is now he's not gonna spend as much time like walking me through the research and decision-making criteria he used because he's doing me a favor, right? Uh-huh. But that machine would, it could It could be transparent to your point earlier. It, it could easily like just, he, here's how I came to that decision, here's, here's the criteria I used and, and kind of t- to our earlier discussion, maybe, maybe there's another one that gives me the cons.
2: And we tell our clients, you know, while a chat GPT or, or these systems are really cool. You have to be really careful about what data you feed into it because then it becomes available to everybody. So it's not, it's a, it's a very slippery slope right now. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The human reinforced learning piece, I don't think people understand that goes to a Human being that looks at it and then, yeah, and then feeds it back into the engine. Um, yeah, well,
2: and I think we all know we've all heard the stats that chat GPT is only 80% accurate, Uh which means, uh, even with let's go back to your doctor example, you, you get multiple opinions, but it doesn't mean that you cannot do your own research to verify that stuff, right? You know, there's still. Right now, humans still are the backstop for for generative AI. We have to verify what they're saying is correct. Uh, so I think we're, we're it's still obviously early early stages of it, but that's not scalable, right? You need yeah. you're, you're going to need some other
1: type of system to verify is this what they're, what they're saying correct. You think do you think that means that enterprises are just going to need their own LLMs? Just it's it's too like it, does, does is Gardner going to need its own LLM? It's just too risky. Well, I'd say every
2: organization is going to have to make its own decisions about that. Um, You know, in terms of what's what's your business strategy, what type of services and products do you want to provide to clients? Does it require, can you get away with just using the open source systems, uh, the hosted systems, or do you need your own system? So uh, that's what we talked to clients about today is everybody's kind of going through their own decision process. What we will say is that in order for you to get the differentiated benefits of technologies like generative AI, you have to use your own data, and it has to be private and secured and accurate and ethically driven. Uh, that to me, uh, to us, is is part of how this is going to work.
3: How I have a question. This is this is probably ignorant on my part, but like, how do all of these CEOs know what service to use and which to buy? And it seems. It seems like they're gonna come in and sort of show a bunch of canned examples of customer service solutions and i'm i'm sort of over the party trick of it and i'm kind of interested in it actually being a little bit more useful right and i don't see that right now with some of the solutions and that might be the fact that we're early in the solution and we typically shove like old media into our new experience until we figure out what it can do or we have to wait 10 years until we see it like really take fruition and so i feel like we're sort of in that space and i guarantee you that some of the executive teams that i've talked to are not even there yet they're still emerging into this so i'm i'm curious as to how they learn about it and then choose to purchase a solution. If that makes sense? Yeah, you know, and this is
2: part of what we do at Gartner. So, Gartner, since January, has been actively at work. We have a resource center for our clients about uh, explaining all aspects of generative AI. Literally, almost every researcher at Gartner, myself included, are looking at the implications of generative AI and AI on our particular areas of coverage. So, I would say, I'd say, Mike, part of you know, the vendors are you know they tell some great stories and they have some really great capabilities but you need that objective partner whether it's us or, or others to take a look at that stuff and be able to cut through the hype the hype right now is 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 unbelievable and we've never seen anything like it but you need a trusted partner who's going to tell you what's right and what's not
1: totally is the hype you th- do you think it's like fear based or opportunity based like oh, where's opportunity based yeah I mean our research tells
2: us is that is that cios are largely optimistic about the benefits of AI and that the benefits outweigh the risks so right now people are very bullish on it um and I'd say you know that's that's as it should be at this point in the hype cycle we have not done a ton of experimentation uh, give it time there'll be some at some point the the hype will subside and we'll go into the trough of disillusionment. But uh-huh. I'd say for the most part, people are pretty excited about this stuff. Uh, but it's you're, Rob, Mike's right. They a lot of people are in education mode. We spend a lot of time educating people.
1: Uh, is there like a one prevailing sort of, you know, dip your toe in the water approach, or is everybody just all over the place on how they want to kind of explore this? Well, I think the logical place to start are those
2: um, generative AI is being built into just about every application right now, every platform provider. So I'd say it's just a matter of experimentation. Uh, You know, a a number of our clients have set up private instances of generative AI with, um, with folks like Google and Microsoft, that those are also, again, safe environments to experiment. But I think, you know, with, 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 um, Microsoft and its co-pilot and whatever Google's doing; those are probably going to be our first introductions at a, on a broad scale to how
1: this technology is going to work. So, I think that's that's really the first step. So, it's a bit of like it's coming to them, you know, in a way. Like whether they come to it, it's coming to them through their tools that they use. Everyday tools, absolutely. They're 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 infused.
2: They're gonna. It's going to be infused in almost every tool we use online. So, we're going to get exposed to it. Um, but our belief is, is that that's not going to provide true differentiation. It's when you get into using your own data, a collection of your own LLM models, cause it's probably going to be more than one. It's not going to be one model. It's that type of, um, the right people. We haven't even talked about talent, you know, okay. the right people that know how to work with this technology, and then a very clear vision of what you want this technology to do to the business. Um. Those are things that are still being built right now, Rob. Uh-huh. You know, Most people are just saying, hey, I heard ChatGPD can write my PowerPoint presentation for me, and that's great. But that's only a fraction of what we think the possibilities are.
1: In, in the past, we've talked a lot about uh, this concept that is, um, you know, Prediction Machines, the book, um, talks a lot about like point solution change versus systemic change. And they've kind of, um, they've they've sort of positioned AI in this category, and and they they did this before ChatGPT, um, of uh, uh, comparing it to like the you know steam engine to the electric motor, like- and saying like yeah we're at that like point solutions are adding this to augment and bolt on to their systems to make them better. Um, but that's not the systemic change, which yeah, yeah. which is like the assembly line, right? Which yeah. is what they're like. And so do you think, how long how long are, do you think this phase of point solution, uh, if you even buy into that, this point solution, um, just augmenting the tools we have to completely changing the tools we use? Uh, you know, I, I don't know
2: that I have a specific point of view on that. I know Gartner does. Um, what I can tell you is that most of our most people are going to be in the point solution for quite some time? What you're describing that next level is more what we would call disruptive or transformational use of the technology. <laughs> and based on past experience, only a fraction of organizations do that because it's, it's going to be expensive. When you're talking about moving from, you know, what uh, whatever Microsoft's going to charge incrementally for Copilot, which will probably be dollars per head to investing lots of money in large language models and the talent and then the generative AI applications sit on top of it. When those bills start adding up, then people have to really ask themselves, do I I really have the fortitude to do it? So I think people are going to find out quickly that to get to the differentiating side, the game-changing side of this technology, it's going to require a lot of investment. And that usually is the gate that holds people back. 'Cause it's unknown, right? We don't know right. exactly what we're gonna get for it. But um, this is where again competition capitalism comes into play. There's gonna be somebody out there that's gonna do it and they're mm-hmm. gonna start to experiment, they're gonna and they're gonna set the standard for it. So I'd say I mean, I, I don't know if that I have a time period, Rob, because this technology development, this acceleration curve is so different than what we've seen in the past. I can't even begin to venture when people will migrate to that next phase of development. Do you, th-
1: do you think there's like a certain industry that might like be more inclined to lead the charge? Uh, Cause it feels like, a uh, you know, they all line up that, that, you know, we need a few to jump and then the rest will all, yeah. you know, yeah. do you think there's a certain industry or do you think it's, it's not industry based? It's, it's the personalities of the folks or, you know, what do you think? Yeah. You know, in reality, it's a combination of both.
2: I I'd say on the whole, If we look at the literally hundreds and hundreds of case examples that we've been collecting at Gartner on generative AI, what seems to emerge is uh, marketing applications, which is about content creation. Uh, we have, uh, financial services because their business is already largely digital and data-based. And then, you know, we see the automotive industry has also been surprisingly been very active in this space. With all the autonomous vehicle stuff so we we see those things hold uh happening we're also seeing some a uh, movement in the healthcare space believe it or not um their use of analytics to be able to for example predict when people might die when they're in intensive care it's stuff like that 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 kind of grabs our attention so i'd say on the whole i'd say it's going to be the um financial services and um and Some manufacturing, progressive stuff, and then the whole marketing, marketing content generation space.
1: What do you think about government? Where where do you think they're going to sit in all this? Are they going to? Well, I mean, I just think of companies or or organizations that have like a lot of people to communicate with and not a lot of money to do it. Yeah.
2: So I would like to believe that our government, the public sector clients, are going to use the technology. To achieve productivity gains, that the commercial side of the house will that they should be, uh, and we're already seeing activity in that area. They also have a protection role. The, the government's about protecting its citizens, protecting to making sure that people have jobs, that the technology is not being used for bad things. To uh, to to that piece of it. So I I'd see the government on a dual track. They want to try to use the technology to make their own operations more efficient, but also they have to think about protecting. Uh, citizens and businesses got it. Michael you're deep into
1: this what's your
3: oh yeah I'm deep with these <laughs> with this space so it's really i would fun have never
1: guess that and... after our years working together that you... <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: <right. laughs> that's it's really fun go. is the, the minute you start talking about those those numbers they just get huge right and so you can think about a huge organization that has an HR problem right like uh, anything mm-hmm. like a Deloitte or an IBM or somebody like that and then you turn around and go oh yeah all of the armed forces for enlistment and re-enlistment. They, they, there's very similar parallels one to one so so when I when I start talking to people inside the federal space about how it can be applied it it's almost like a a magical a magic wand that you start wing, swinging around and, and, and evaporating their their deep problems <laughs> like every company every every team I've worked on is working on some ancient technology yes, that like, Alexander Graham Bell laid some like Decisions. copper wire back in the day and they built okay. off of it and they're still using it and so we're finding the ability to like say you don't have to like sunset systems right you don't have to like 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 flip them over we had you know the, the big like rip them and flip them For right sure. you don't have to do any of that junk. you can just start accepting this other layer on top of it that becomes a transactional layer yeah. between what you're trying to extract and then it becomes a little bit less um unstructured data and you start actually have some hooks to start manipulating it and that if i told somebody that you know a year ago or two years ago i just basically said a billion dollars because going to need 600 people to mm-hmm. do it we're going to set it up at an agile stack to do all the and and this at some point you the writing the ticket for this solution becomes longer than just making the solution sort of happen mm-hmm. and that becomes really exciting to like get out of the like problem of of fixing plumbing all the time when instead they can really start solving yeah. like like bigger problems and so that I see I see places like that I see it in like leveraging like old school brittle technology and making it accessible. I see places in like just massive amounts of data that have to be parsed for mm-hmm. for any reason right you're gonna just get tons of it i see it in um in compliance i see a real great need in mm-hmm. compliance especially for like 508 compliance around accessibility concerns and in, in done correctly you know a lot of the generative ai tools will will turbocharge your accessibility stack because you start getting multiple venues of media to be presented to yeah. you like hey we'll just have the thing read it to you that kind mm-hmm. of stuff that starts happening um and so it it alleviates a lot of the like structure which could be considered red tape it 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 accelerates that and and and, and that's my money that i'm paying in taxes to make some of those services yeah. happen so I, I see it i see it taken taking um see a lot of people getting getting a uh, uh, drool in their <laughs> mouth over that sort of stuff, right? Things are coming out. They're ready to start biting into it. But Mike, you made, you
2: made a really good point and we agree is um sometimes when you are caught up in hype, the first response is well, we're just going to rip everything out and start over again. And that's not what we're saying. Uh, we agree with you that building on top of your existing systems may be the best answer for most people because this technology is just different than than things you've had in the past. We've all heard the example of ChatGPT, you know, converting COBOL into Python, you know, um, maybe there's the elimination of test scripts. You don't have to write those anymore. Maybe software development goes from ten weeks to two days. You know, maybe maybe we're seeing the end of legacy IT, for example, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and technical debt. I mean, these are all the things that still have yet to be explored. But I think it's just driving a whole nother level of
1: conversation yeah.
2: about the role of technology in both business and government, which is also exciting.
1: Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm with you and I see the same things and I, and I think this, I mean, even maybe even take it further and say some of those things we think or thought we had to rip out because of this, we don't, it's not Mm -hmm. as urgent anymore. Now, actually, you know, when you put sort of graph concepts and, and LLMs together, you're like, you know what? Let the data stay where it is. We we can now get to it's it. Tough. It's it's accessible. That the urgency to rip that and change it uh, has gone down. We have a new interface to it now that actually is better than a graphical one. Um, so we can get at the data and and maybe now you you change the order of operation to like, well, just hold on to that thing. We've invested in it. It still works. And now we have now we have an, an LLM to operate it. Um, yeah. and, and, and so like, cause a lot of the times that it's the human cost and the labor cost of operating the thing that causes them to want to, to want to forklift it out is they're like, well, this, this is too hard to use and it takes too long. And, and you're like, oh, that's a fine if machines don't care, they have patience and they can replicate <laughs> um, <laughs> instantly. So yeah, I, yeah, I'm seeing a lot of like, Hey, maybe rethink whether you need to even rip those things out anymore. Now, what about, what about creating a you know, machine operator on top of it. and
3: I'm doing a forecasting dashboard for someone that should (laughs) remain nameless uh, for some financial services. And the queries, the data interrogation that they end up doing, right, against, you know, what they told the board or what they told the stakeholders or what they forecasted versus what they forecasted last year um, is really interesting. And so the UI that we have to draw to support that is... Just nasty, mm-hmm. right? You have to like show all of the cost centers and everybody underneath the cost center. And 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 really what we should be asking is just like, what do you want to know? Like, what are you asking for? You're asking for like out of tolerance stuff, mm-hmm. right? Like somebody yep. spent more than what? Like 5%? The 9%? The 30%? And then how often do you want to know that? Like all the time when it happens the next day when you show up. And so th- some of those like anticipatory kind of solutions that can be applied from you know understanding what you're really asking for Mm -hmm. and then you know showing up with like a a generative ai solution that's going to comb everything and you know send you a text when something crazy happens or write you a like a, a little digest for the your morning brief as you show up like that we're so close to that and and all of these sort of discrete things hint at the ability to do that and so that i mean i keep falling back into that line of like is it that uber bot that knows Mm -hmm. everything is it a bunch of is it the small swarm Uh, that is yeah you know only the three that are next to it know what's going on and everything else is happening off of the other kind of space and so that gets really interesting to me because as a as a designer as a ux kind of designer i i want to get into those Harder problems and be like, let me solve what you're yeah. asking for before you ask it, yeah. and not have to present, you know, every possible option to you on the screen at yeah. one time. Yeah, I think when the more
1: I talk to people, you know, they don't want to have the conversation about bot, you know, machine to machines talking to each other in natural language. It just, I feel like their eyes cross. It's just overwhelming to wait, wait. I'm just still getting over the people talking to machines in natural language. But I think the implications are massive and I think your book kind of really is like the beginning of that journey to go, wait a second, like that's a thing. That's, I mean, that's what you're talking about. You're talking about, a, a, you know, one machine buying from another machine. It, is. it wouldn't make sense for the machine to buy from a human. That's like why, <laughs> mm-hmm. what, a, what a waste. Yeah. So we're really looking at like, yeah, this is machines. And, and why wouldn't they do it in natural language? Cause that would allow us to monitor and have agency over it. Like, why do we want them to do it in JSON or something we can't understand? Why not just see a conversation between those? You know, before we close today, I just want to get your thoughts on, do you think they should talk our language or do you think they should talk their own language? <laughs> well, actually uh, Gartner did some research. Uh, we call it maverick research. And we,
2: we believe that um, machines will talk to each other in English. That yes. was our position. Mine so, too. So, uh, because it is a global language, and a lot of the programming is English based, so that's and I, I would, I would be inclined to agree with that. As, as, um, you know, Anglocentric as it is,
1: I think that's where things are going. Yeah, and even if it's if it's language, it's still our human language, not machine. You know, I think. Yeah, I, there's a lot of people who disagree with us, by the way. Um, but I, I think it's inevitable, just because because of the agency and trust. I want to see what they said. I want to be in the loop. I even sure. if even if they bought, I want to make sure that it did it did the things that I wanted it to do, and I want to be in the loop. Um, even if I, it doesn't wait for a final decision for me and it went ahead and bought, I just I want to be able to look at the transcript that took place yes.
2: without question. We were are yep.
1: very cl- we're very clear about that, Mike. You know that we are
2: always going to be involved. Um, even in this era of machines as autonomous customers, uh, let's say that my bot wants to put a product into my basket uh, that I, I didn't ask for, but maybe I need it. You know, I'll if that happens once and I like it, great. If not, I'll just say, don't do that anymore. Uh, you know, that's the thing that we forget is that we should be able to program this type of intervention into these machines so that we don't feel like we're out of control. We feel right. like we're in control. Because I think the trust Part of the trust is you feel like you have some degree of control. Once that stops happening, then you start to lose trust. Yeah. So it's it's a very very
1: delicate balance I think that has to be achieved. So you think we're at the beginning of the end of APIs as we know them? Oh, I don't know enough about APIs to answer that question. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, you know, I I I tend to think more about. You know how these machine customers can make our lives easier help us make better decisions Uh uh, maybe lead to less waste you know we didn't talk about that at all which is maybe i buy too much produce every week my refrigerator steps this and say you know what you buy five apples a week but you only eat two and i and the garbage can tells me you throw three away so why don't we just buy two next week it's stuff like stuff like that both at home and in business that
1: i think is going to be pretty cool yeah we conserve our decision making. It's energy. it takes calories. like there are decisions we yeah. could give more thought to, but we we do kind of make sure that we, you know make conscious choices on what we think hard about and what we think um less about. and and so even though we're capable of maybe making better decisions on certain things, than machines, we don't give it the mental energy. so, that no. machines will give it, and therefore they'll be better decision makers, just on the basis that we don't care enough. Yeah, but um,
2: but but on things that we do care about. So let's say because we don't we don't we don't say machine customers are good for everything. Okay. My wife loves purses. She would never delegate the purchase of a purse to a machine, right. Ever, right? Because right. it's too, it's an emotional purchase. Now, could it do research on her behalf and say these five stores have the style that you like? They all have inventory available. You know, here's a map. To be able to hit all the five stores in one afternoon. Yeah, totally right. got, totally get that. But yep. the actual decision has to be horrors because yeah. there's emotion associated with it. So we're very clear that non emotional, routine, commodity based decisions can be delegated. The others,
1: there may be a sliding scale. Right. And helper, like it might just pipe in and say, hey, there's dangerous materials in this. Yeah.
2: Or, or this, there's this, this breaks this, or. Or this yep.
1: fact, this uh,
2: manufacturer has been cited recently for bad workplace conditions, right? Right. Or not enough diversity, whatever that looks like.
1: Yeah. It's
2: that type of help going back
1: to our earlier conversation. That research that I think actually can help us make better decisions. Yeah. So I think the next breakthrough in my mind is 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 one we're already on and evolutionary, but it is the nailing down this reputation thing so that machines have a reliable source and I'm. I'm really bullish, you know, looking at how a lot of these there's a lot of criticisms about reputation on Amazon and some of these but they do and I know this through my wife who who actually spends a lot of time on the other side of like the you know, hiring the people that actually yeah. try and they really do try to make sure that these that these are accurate. You know, it's it's it's, yeah. it's it's a lot less gamed I think than people might think and they really are trying to get to truth. Um, on these reputation, they spend a lot of money to check for bad reviews and um and false reviews and that sort of thing. And I think the more we, the more that evolves, I think it kind of unlocks more trust. To your guys' point, in mm-hmm. the we can del- we can hand over more trust to the machines when we can trust where the source of where they're getting their data from. Yeah, well said. We totally agree.
3: Oh, I want, to th- okay, I want to throw something in that's totally off the wall then. Okay. So, so I'm, I purchase things in a very similar way, right? There's a lot of the um, review checking, right? Highs and lows and seeing what the kind of, and doing my deep research. But I am not a millennial or Gen Z. And I watch them and have researched the way they purchase. And it's not the way we purchase, they're right? They're and heard. it does have more to do with, uh, maybe a trust, not even a trust broker, an influence broker, yeah. right? And so, so, so now you're going to TikTok to find where you should go to a restaurant yeah. uh, by the influencer. So, so at some point, there's probably it's probably a, a price point where I would be willing to let a influence bot purchase things if on that. my behalf. For and maybe my wife wouldn't do it, right? But it could be that. That thing has more knowledge of the the uh, cultural zeitgeist that's sort of happening to be able right. to like stay abreast of the wave, and so that gets really really interesting to me because uh, the res- the reviews don't matter, exactly. the r- right. ratings aren't a part of it. It's it becomes exposure, it becomes count, yeah. it becomes who you're connected to yep. via that situation, yep. and then. And then we're still, we could still break it down to, you know, purchase influencer and purchase authority, right? Which it still sort of falls in the camps of. Mm-hmm. But your purchase influence influencer becomes very fluid. It? it it can be, it, it can be just, uh, uh, it could be a fad, yeah. right? Like a trending You're fad the, that you want to yeah. move in on. Well,
1: that's what LLMs so, are. I mean, they aggregate. You can go to Chad GPT and say what restaurants you recommend cool. and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, does all the, you know, disclaimers, but it does go ahead and make a recommendation. And that to, in essence is a sort of, you know, gathering, it's it's, it's outdated, you know, it's 2021, but yeah, I sort of wonder if I've kind of spent a lot of time thinking about LLMs as a source of reputation score and what does it need to look like if it was actually focused on that purposefully and, Mm -hmm. and trained for that. You know, and, and update it on a regular uh, regular enough basis that you can trust it. And that's where my fear comes into like if we start using one source, then <laughs> we get yeah. into the blunt instrument problem of everyone buying right. carrots on the same day. Or yep. what if what if uh, there is an influencer
2: bot who is invading the LLMs with false yeah. information?
1: Oh man. Yep. Right.
2: So, yep. you know, that's a very real possibility. So that even if you did have your own custo bot that worked for you is diving into various LLMs that were populated with false information
3: already gained. Already uh,
2: gained. Yeah. Right. So I mean, yeah. I think yeah. our security folks will tell you that any system that's used for good can also be used for bad. Right. And and that's just something See. we all have to be mindful of. So I, I really like kind of this this angle that you all have around trust and reputation because we're d- we're
1: just not thinking that far enough ahead, but we have yeah. to. Yeah. And I like your point that it's probably going to come out of some aggregation, not one source, because that's too dangerous. It's too corruptible, too centralized. There has to be some, some form of decentralization doesn't have to be as far as blockchain or anything, but it can, but the, but it's gotta be a some sort of aggregation of trusted sources, not just one, one LLM that we go to and say, Hey, you know, where's the best place to get tires? Yeah. Or, what's the best tire to buy? So, well, this is a great conversation. Um, I loved where it went. This is, I love these sort of um, I think reputation is, is a huge part of the picture of leveraging the opinions and algorithms of these systems. Um,
3: and so, yeah, it's great. I think that's interesting because I do too, as well. And I, I'm relying on the tr- I'm relying on this trust sort of space. Because of my inherent distrust of any system that's provided for me. Right. Yeah. So, so like I know, I know every, all of the, all of my vendors are going to start giving me these options. And so, i don't really trust them to be looking out for my best interests i trust them to look out for their exactly. best interest and so the transparency of how it's happening exactly. if it's happening for me or if i'm in control of it what were my tolerances against it are pretty are pretty it, not only interesting but like required it's right not... As a requirement for me to sort of play in this space and, and give some of that so, so so i think it's i think it's cool that we dug into it i think it's really cool that you guys split this like three-tiered system of like these are the low level things that you think can happen. You sort Isn't of it? Ex- explained it in in the agency that your your bot hat would have. And so that sort of starts becoming fun. And then I just really immediately start getting into the fact that it's like, wow, your your business really has to understand who your customer is. Like at a root level, it's like enough. beyond the UX stuff. Like what's the journey? What's the true journey so that you can look at it and really start identifying those opportunities to to leverage this stuff, oh, yes. right? To yeah. like really start reducing friction points, yeah. and that's always that's that gets into all this stuff too. Because I customer service, right? The whole <laughs> what's the what's the joke is the the way you say customer service to the bot is the real use. Yeah, yeah. I, how are you how do you treat bots? How do you treat machines? Says a lot
2: about who you are.
1: <laughs> uh, we, yeah. we
2: were hearing stories about. Um, you know companies that are using bots for the recruiting process how you treat those machines and uh, if you treat them badly that says something about you so it's uh it's definitely
1: something interesting to think about now i'm gonna have to go home and make sure that i uh have a talk with my kids then <laughs> so i'm about, now a little about, worried about, about <laughs> please <so laughs> thank you i'm a little worried about them <laughs> yeah
2: yeah maybe it's it's I mean a lot of people do say please and thank you when they talk to Alexa or Siri you know it's, yeah I don't think it's a bad thing yeah. it's no it's, it's good it's, practice yeah. yeah
1: well this is great let's wrap it up and yeah thank you so much I thank really you. appreciate having you on it was great I you guys thank. are a trusted source I think in, in my opinion that Gardner's highly rated but underrated still I think you guys do great work and Um, I, I love reading what you guys have to say and it inspires me a lot. Um, well, thank you very much. Some of my thinking. So thanks a lot for coming on.
0: It's our pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Thanks again for hanging out with us right here on invisible machines. Please subscribe to UX magazine, wherever you get your podcasts so that you can hear new episodes as soon as they come out. If you want to watch new episodes and I recommend you do the, the video feeds are really pretty amazing. Follow the invisible machines, YouTube channel and i think that's all i have for you this week so let's go ahead and look forward to next week when we will connect again right here on invisible machines